responsibility for it. We cannot go and look for other denominations to help. We cannot expect people from other countries to come, as other missions can. This is Irish Baptist before God taking this responsibility and we're not giving it up yet. It will be given up, it will be handed over in the next 10 to 15 years, I think is the plan. But in the meantime, continue to support, support the work in France, support the work in Spain, support the work in Ireland, but don't forget the work in Korea. It still goes on. It's Christ's work, but it's what Christ has commended into the hands of Irish Baptists. Let's be faithful to the end with him and with his people there in Peru. I want to turn now to the Word of God because the most important thing in all that we do is proclaiming God's Word. And I thought to myself, what am I going to preach the last time I preached in Great Faith, potentially? What am I going to preach? And I thought, well, the best thing to preach is Christ. So I came back to Revelation 1. I did it by a, 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 a prayer meeting one time in Zoom, the first day of classes. Um, I'll try to look my time, but we'll see how it goes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, many people who have gone out from Great Victor to different parts of the world. We thank you for Hugh Mitchell who went out from this church, for Mary Stone who went out from this church as well, and to Peru. And we pray uh, your blessing upon this church in the future, that you would guide it and guard it and do great things through it. We come now to hear your word, and we want to hear what Christ says to the churches. And please, Father, speak to us all clearly. May the Holy Spirit draw us close to Christ and help us to see him and in all his glory and go from here encouraged by what we see. For us in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Do any of you teachers ever make a mistake when you're marking somebody and you mark them down when you shouldn't have? That happened to me. I took a point off a girl because she told me um, that with good assurance in, in her assignment that John the Apostle was boiled in oil and then exiled the Patmos. And I said to her, how can you boil someone in oil and then exile them to the Patmos? Obviously you can't. But um, I discovered later that one of the early church fathers had actually said that. So she was quoting to me from a church file. I didn't, didn't attribute the quote, so I couldn't uh, check it at the time. But it's amazing the, the things that get about that we think are in the Bible and are not. John is exiled in patterns. Of course, we know he was in a mine, don't we? That's what we're told. Except there are no mines in patterns. Isn't that it? All these legends come up that are not the Word of God. We must go to the Word of God and see what it actually says to us. And so we come to John's vision. And John's vision is Christ revealing himself to John. But it's also largely based on the Old Testament. There are so many allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. But we're going to see some of them this morning, even in this beginning of the book. And why do we get that? It's not that John's sitting down with an Old Testament and even through it, but it's the God who revealed himself in the Old Testament is now revealing himself to John in terms that John will understand and that 
John and the churches to whom he sends these letters should understand. So if you have your hand, you've probably enough, haven't enough fingers to hold all the references in the Old Testament that, that are in this passage. But John is on the island of Patmos and he tells us uh, that he's writing to the seven churches and it's a message not from him but a message from God through Christ to him to the churches. And who is this John? Well he's probably uh, the apostle. Some may have that but I, I know that as the apostle. And he's on the island of Patmos. But how does he describe himself? He describes himself to the churches as your brother and partner in tribulation in the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. Here's a man who is committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a man who is in tribulation. But he's not alone. The churches are in tribulation as well. But the churches and John have the hope of the kingdom. And John says, but we must endure patiently. The idea of the word is to bear hardship for the sake of God. John said we must continue ahead whatever the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Suffering and the kingdom are inseparable as parts of our inheritance in Jesus. Jesus has told us in the world you will have tribulation. Paul taught that through much tribulation we must enter the kingdom of God. And so John is in some sort of tribulation. He's on Patmos. He's not in a mine, because it's said there is no mine in Patmos. It never was. But archaeological evidence shows us that Patmos uh, was a fortified island belonging to the city of Miletus, where it had a great, uh, it had a great Greek school. It had shrines to Apollos and Artemis. But there's no evidence of it being a penal colony. Nevertheless, John was probably banished there. The Romans often banished people to islands uh, when they thought they were a threat or a potential threat. So he's relegated to an island. Um, he can't get off it. He's, um, I wouldn't quite say under house arrest, he's under island arrest. And he's there for the person of Jesus. And he can't have fellowship with the churches with whom he worked in Asia Minor. And he's alone. <coughs> but he's alone. And he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. He's in a worshipful relationship with God. Whatever his circumstances, and he can't meet with others. And we've all seen that in the lockdown, haven't we? He can't meet with others, but you can meet with the Lord. No zone for John. But the presence of God was with him. He was in the Spirit. And he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The day when Christ rose from the dead. The day when the churches met to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We read in Acts chapter 20 of the meeting on the first day of the week. We read in 1 Corinthians 16 of collections being taken when the saints meet the first day of the week. And John kept up the habit of meeting. He could meet with others. He could meet with the Lord. And it's the Lord's day. And John 
comes to worship and he's in the spirit when the Lord meets him in a special way. We read that I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet. That in itself is an allusion to Old Testament, isn't it? When God came down on Sinai, there was a sound of the trumpet. And incidentally, on the Day of Atonement, to announce the Day of Atonement, the trumpet was blown. That was the day when Israel knew that due to the Day of Atonement, Israel was brought once again into perfect covenant relationship with God. Here's John, and he hears a trumpet. God is speaking directly to me, thinks John. God has something to say to me. Trumpets were often used to announce important things throughout the Old Testament, indeed, throughout the ancient world. But they were also used to herald the restoration of the kingdom. We read of Isaiah and in Zechariah, how when the kingdom was established, the trumpet was high. And John, on his own, left without anyone to have fellowship with, suddenly hears, wherever I am, God is with me. And God still has things to do. He's in the spirit of the Lord's day. And he's commanded to write and that's important because that puts a permanent record down. The story is told of the Inca Atahualpa when he was captured by the Spaniards. He discovered what writing was. He didn't know. Uh, and so uh, he got a Spaniard to write the word God on his thumbnail. And he was very amused. When Spaniards come in, he would go like that, point his nail at them and say, God, God, God. And the head of the Spanish who conquered Peru was Pizarro. And he pointed at Pizarro, Pizarro couldn't read. And I had a walk with the spice, Pizarro after that. Once it's written down, others can hear about it. And God is not giving a private revelation to John. He's saying, write this down. This is a permanent record and it's going to the seven churches. Preserve it. Because it's important. It's going to tell you what God's plans are. And then we find out the vision that John saw. We're told that he saw a voice. What does that mean? It means he saw a voice. It's God communicating to him. In Mount Sinai, they did not see a representation of God. But Exodus tells us they saw a voice. God was communicating to all of John's senses, just as he had communicated to Moses. John, the last apostle alive, had the privilege of being the last writer of Holy Scripture. And what does John say? He sees, and turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, this is lampstands first. He's reminded, I'm sure, of the temple in Jerusalem, which was probably destroyed by the state, would have been destroyed by the state. 
But in the temple, in the holy place, where John, who wasn't a priest, couldn't go. There were lampstands. And we find that the lampstand hasn't disappeared from God's plans. The lampstands are, we're told, the seven churches at the end of the chapter. You see, Christ is the light of the world. But the lampstands are what hold the light up. These churches in Asia Minor and every church since through to God must hold up the light of Christ to others. But in the midst of the lampstands there stands one like a son of man. Now that takes us to Daniel 7, doesn't it? Remember the son of man in Daniel 7. Hold that thought in your mind. This son of man was clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. Long robes were not normal for working people. They had shorter robes and they gathered them up, tucked them into their belt and worked. When you have a long robe and it's down, you're not a workman. This is someone in authority. This is King Jonathan had a long robe. Saul had a long robe. This is a priest. Priest had a long robe as well. And the priest had a girdle, not round his waist, but round his chest. This is a king and a priest as well. And then he speaks. This is a messenger from God. Think of Daniel 10. So this person that John sees is a prophet and a priest and a king. He's a son of man. He's one of us. But he's one of us in glory. This is the vision that John has. This is not simply John's friend from Galilee. John is not pallid with this person. John, when he sees him, falls down. But is there some confusion here? Because we, we read, um, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Go to Daniel 7 and you find that the ancient of days is characterized by white hair. And now the son of man has white hair. Is John mixing things up in Daniel 7? No, God is saying, John, I, the ancient of death, sent my son, who is one with me. He is no less God than I am. The son of man and the ancient of death are one and the same. The son of man is given authority over all the nations, by the ancient of deaths. All the empires which are described as beasts fall and die in seven. God's judgment comes and the Son of Man is given all authority. John, you're in the presence of the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. You're on an island. You've been restricted to that island by the Roman authorities. But let's not mistake it. The one like the Son of Man is the one who is out of the authority. We've sung that, haven't we? And we sing it because it's true. All authority 
is given to Christ, the Son of Man. Jesus is one with God. And then we have his description. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. Here, this one with all authority really has it. He can see everything that is going on. He can find John. John can't reach the churches. The churches can't reach John. But wherever John is, his eyes see him. He has feet like bronze. Again, that takes us to Daniel 10 and to Daniel 2. He has strength to stand and he has speed to act. He hasn't lost control because John's in Patmos. He has a voice like the roar of many waters again. Daniel 10 and Ezekiel 1. You can see this so much in the Old Testament. That God is just saying to John, you know what the culmination of all my revelation is? It's Jesus exalted. Everything in the Old Testament points to him, John. And you know what, John? He's with you in Patmos. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Now that's interesting, isn't that? Because astrologers tell us, and told the Roman world, that the stars control our fate. And Domitian, the emperor, had a son who had died as a baby. And Domitian produced a coin with this baby holding seven stars. The baby was among the stars, according to Domitian. According to Christ, Christ holds the stars. The stars do not control our fate. Christ controls the stars. There is nowhere where this latest Telescope is going. I've forgotten its name. There's a new one that's going out to replace Hubble. There is nowhere where that can go where God is not. There is nowhere where that can go where Christ is not in total control. It may not look like it. What's John doing in Patmos if Christ is in control? Who's Christ wants him there? Christ says, I am in control of everything. Who's running this world? Joe Biden? Vladimir Putin? No. Why are they doing what they're doing? I have no idea. But I don't need to know. What I need to know is, over them all is Christ who will bring them all to judgment. Christ is in control in Ukraine at this moment. I do not understand why it's happening as it is. It is a total total tragedy but Christ is in control there Christ will be in control on Friday morning when we get the results of the elections whatever they might be Christ is in control John have you grasped that says Christ to John in effect I am running this universe I have seven stars of course the seven stars are the messengers of the seven churches. 
of the angels of the seven churches. Not only the stars in the sky are in Christ's hand. The churches are in Christ's hand. The churches will develop as Christ wants them to develop. And he will have messages for each of these seven churches. Some will need to be corrected. Some will need to put things right. Some are being praised for what they do. Christ knows every local church. He knows what's happening in Bootleg. Like he knows, thank God, the Bootleg like is increasing again. I came home in furlough about 10 years ago. I was in my mid 50s and I was one of the youngest members of this church. And I wondered, what's the future? This is not your business, John, what the future is. I know what the future is. I have good good back in my hand. Churches up in Pomada, every one of them is in the hand of Christ. There are little communities up in the sea out of the dying because people are moving down to the coast. Churches disappear. Why? Because there's nobody there. Okay. Why do you want the church building now when there's nobody in it? The church dies up there. It's not because God has failed. Because people have moved out and God is not with them. We meet people in Tacna in our churches and sometimes in the street and they say, Remember me? Some fellow about 30. Remember me? No. no. I was in the lobby church when I was five and I went to something. I don't really remember you. <laughs> but we remember her. And we're kept in church. I was talking to the accountant a few months ago. And she said to me, um, we want to get software in. I had to consult with Merton, of course. We got the software in for the, for the accounts. And she says, now I want to Rolando to check all your computers before you, you do that. And I thought, who's Rolando? I thought, the only Rolando I know is a fellow who drives a tricycle taxi. She says, that's him. You want him to check our computers? <coughs> He's just finishing a degree in IT. He was using the taxi to keep himself while he was from the university. I was delighted to hear that. I mean, he did service our computer. But I was even more delighted to know, and I knew this already, that he was attending one of our churches in Hackney. And he's actually helping in a team to replant Lewis the Church. Where did we first meet Rolando? I don't even remember. He does. There is met him in the Christmas project up in the wee valleys in the back end of nowhere in Pomata. And he heard the gospel there, and he trusted the Lord there. And I hope he's a good professional working with computers. But I'm delighted that he's a good Christian working to replant the church that had major problems in time. God has his people. And God has his hand on his people. And God's people are secure in the hand of Christ. The hand that holds the stars. The hand that wipes away every tear. The hand that's concerned for each one of us. Christ calls the churches and they're firmly in his hand. Nobody can touch them. The mission, don't you think you're wrong? Will you do in a sense? But you're going to give account to Christ. Boris Johnson. You'll answer to Christ someday. You may get away with a lot of things here, but you'll answer to Christ someday. Do we live with that sense that our God is in control and He's in control for us? He has pledged Himself to us, His people, in the churches. 
From his mouth comes a two-edged sword. That again reminds us, doesn't it, of Samson. Reminds us of Isaiah, uh, where the, the servant of the Lord uh, will be given the spirit. It reminds us of Isaiah 49, where the servant of Jehovah has the word of Jehovah in his mouth. You see, this Jesus, the Son of Man, is also the servant of Jehovah. The one who would come and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Your face like the sun in its radiance. Daniel 6 again. Daniel 10 6 again. It also reminds John, I'm sure, of that day on the Mount of Transfiguration when he saw the Lord. And he's seeing the Lord he saw then. He's seeing the Lord exalted in all his glory. So what's John's reaction? That's the vision he saw. What's the reaction he had? Well, he wasn't his friend from Galilee. He still was, but that wasn't what he was. Principally, John fell on his face. Again, a typical reaction. Daniel falls on his face in chapter ten when he sees what might be an angel and might be Christ. Not quite sure. I haven't decided now. The commentaries, the commentaries are in disagreement. But it's an angel. It's a very powerful. Ezekiel falls on his face when he sees the cherubim <coughs> and sees God coming. John has fear, godly fear. God has, John has reverence and he's worshipping in the presence of the holiness and the glory of God here. But he's not left there. The comfort that John received is also seen. The right hand of Christ which is strong to hold the heavens and gentle to wipe away tears holds John and lifts him up. And John hears those words, fear not. John is fearful. Who wouldn't be fearful if we were to see Christ like that? But the Christ who appears like that is the Christ who says, fear not. And who he is is what calms our fears. Look at his titles. I am the first and the last. Again, go to Isaiah. Who is the first and the last of Isaiah? Jehovah, the God of Israel. The only God of all the earth. The God who controls Babylon even before Babylon leads Israel into exile. I'm the first and I'm the last. Beside me, there is no other. And Jesus says, John, fear not. I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm the living one. God is not some dead idol. Christ is alive. But how is he alive? He died and is alive forevermore. This is not just God and all his holiness. This is God the Son who lived and died and made atonement so that men and women could come to God. I remember translating a report from someone from Mervyn. And Mervyn said, he's not going to come into the presence of God here. Is that what he means? I said, no, it's not. 
And he said, yeah, because if you enter in the presence of God, you'd be dead. We don't enter in the presence of God. We enter in the presence of God through Christ. We can't enter the right way. That's right. But this revelation to John said, I am the one whom alive I was dead and I'm alive forevermore. Stories told, told everyone whether it's true or not of a man who was left a fortune by someone. But as they say, well, there's a will of relatives. And the lawyers came along and he lost it all and finally got it. And he was left with nothing of his, of his inheritance. And someone asked him about it. He's a Christian. He said, well, it's like this. He says, I have a great inheritance. And the person who left this inheritance has died. So the inheritance is mine. But he rose again. And there's nobody will cheat me of that. Because he's my lawyer. He's my advocate. At God's right hand. And that inheritance is secure. That's all I need. Christ is the one who died to secure our salvation. And rose again to guarantee that we will have it. This is the God whom John sees. A God who wants to reconcile men and women to himself. Let me ask you at this point, do you know that God? Because if you don't, you should fall down in total fear. Because there is no hope for you if you do not know this God. But this one who appears to John like that says, fear not. Recognize who I am. I am the one who died and rose again and offer salvation to all who will trust in me. Salvation is offered this morning to all men and women who come to God through Christ, not apart from Christ, but through Christ who has made atonement so that men and women can be saved. He died. He is the keys of death and of Hades. Keys are important. Keys grant the holder access to interiors and their contents. We're away two years and four months, something like that. Lurie's, we're only going away for four months today. Lurie's put the key in her pocket. Nobody can get into our house. Nobody. They can look after the garden, they can look after that where the table is, but they can't get into the house because they don't have the keys. Don't know what we're going to get in, don't we get in. <laughs> For the keys you have access. I remember once uh, there was a lady in the PTI church, her son, her grandson was the uh, pastor of the church, and she was 102, as far as we know. Um, and, and she was she was a Christian. She was old, she was suffering, she was bedridden. And the church gathered one night to pray for her in her, in her home, around her bed. And one young woman in the church said, Lord, you have the keys of death and you open it. Opened the door. Woman died that night. Ken Scott said to me, I will never ask anyone to pay child to pay for me. <laughs> okay, it's probably not what it meant. But you get the point? Who decides John's fate? Is it the stars? Is it the Emperor Domitian in Rome? Is it the governor in Miletus? Who is it? Jesus says, I have the keys of death. Remember Peter asleep in prison one night when Herod had threatened his execution the next day? Why isn't he up praying? Why isn't he worried about it? Well, you remember what the Lord said, I answered. The Lord said, 
when you're young, you do, you're like, but when you're old, someone will take you and make you right. If not old, I'm not going to die tonight. I don't care what Herod said. Jesus said, I will die when I'm old. Now, none of you here knows that. Peter did. None of us know that. But know this. He's got the keys because he has conquered death and hell. Spurgeon once um, said, are we afraid to die? We shouldn't be. Because we're not going anywhere where the Savior hasn't gone before us. We're going into a territory that is conquered and liberated by Christ. I think he's a dead man. The popular concept of hell is that the devil rules it, isn't it? If anybody still believes in hell out there, they, they have this idea that the devil's there. The devil is there as prisoner number one. He is not there to rule hell. Jesus Christ rules the realm of the dead. And Jesus Christ decides when you and I will pass that realm. And when we do as Christians, we are just going where he has been. And he will take us through. John, you don't know when your time will come. Will it come apartments? Will you be released? Doesn't matter. I have the keys. I decide who is released, when they are released, and where they are released. And then the instruction John received. He's told again to write what he saw, what is, and what is to come. This is not a private mystical message for John, as I say. This is a word of comfort to seven churches who are possibly wondering, what on earth happened to our, our, our leader? Where's John? What would we do without John? John's the apostle, but he didn't found the churches. Paul found a few of them, but he's been here for a while, and we need him here, and we want him here. And Christ says, John, you have one message for yourself. Tell them that I am in control. Tell them that the churches are there, but I'm walking in the midst of <coughs> I'm the one that holds the messengers of the churches, or the angels of the churches. I'm still not sure I'm not one either. But I hold those who hold the churches. The churches are in my hand. In contrast to some passages in Revelation, this passage isn't actually all that difficult to translate from John's setting their own. John's audience included those suffering directly for their faith, read the letters to the seven churches. John's audience included those facing economic testing. Will we follow the system? Will we supply, um, will we go to the guilds that control trade and go to other feasts and so on in the temples? Or will we be faithful to Christ? Well, the obvious thing to do is how about common sense, isn't it? Just, just a moment or two you'll be alright. Christ says follow me. If it costs you here there are rewards for their help. Do not fall for what the world is telling you. Do not bow to what the world is saying. I am in control of everything. John's audience for those facing invitations compromise with the word and other sorts of challenges and do we not face the same challenges today 
What are we doing? Can we not make life easier for ourselves? Yeah, we can for a moment or two. But is it worth it? When we ultimately know that it's not the governments of this world that control that world. Christ is the government of the world. All. He is our king. He is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our sacrifice who has given himself so that we would have eternal life. The challenge is, will we follow Christ? Will we trust in him? And Christ says, I'm in the midst of the churches. I've got the stars in my hand. I control everything, John. Now you write down what's going to happen because I control the future as well. I know exactly what's going to happen. Maybe it's said very few people have understood Revelation and there's so much to be about it. But the one thing sure is Christ is in control and Christ has the ultimate victory. And ultimately there will be a new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteousness. And who will be at the centre of it? Jesus Christ. And he's with you wherever you are if you're his child. He's with us in this church this morning. And he's with you when you can't get out the church. He hasn't abandoned yet. And he'll be with us if we get to Peru or willing we will. And he'll be with us there in the future. Part of there. Maybe cry this one. We were joined, we joined the church the same day, November 78. He said, I'll never see you again. Yes, we will, Pat. Yes, we will. Men be here. But we'll see each other at Christ at hand. Christ is in control. No matter who you are, where you are, what pressure you're on there. And Christ invites you if you do not know him. Come and trust him because everything else is passing away. But he is there at God's right hand. A king, a prophet, a priest having made a sacrifice that is available for sinners. Amen.
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please do uh, take your seats and uh, we're going to, for the